We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yes, that tournament. Make sure to head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness contest starting March 15th. And remember, the NBA and XFL are still going strong. So, whatever your passion is, Bet Online is the place to be for all your betting needs. Visit our good friends and exclusive partner, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now let's start the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 183, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and Frances... Barca limped to a 1-0 victory over Real Sociedad over the weekend, but are still top of the table. Hay Liga. Hay Liga, hay mucha Liga. Hola, culés. Um, yeah, so basically we got the three points that we wanted over the weekend, and Real Madrid's result helped on our journey forward. I think that's a very, very quick summary. But overall, it was more about the points this time round. Obviously, in an ideal situation in Barca, world Barca history, Barca play exceptional football that we're all in love with and um, we still get the same three points. Obviously, that's not what happened this time round, but some some weeks, you know, you just have to do it. It looks like at this moment in time, especially where we are in the season, with all the injuries to key players and the several players we've got, Renke Antes, which is not injured but about to be sort of thing, or you can feel there's something sort of brewing, getting the three points and having Real Madrid not getting a great result. Is, is a great step forward, and I think everyone listening to this podcast would have signed that before the weekend, so let's move on. Well, today we're moving on to La Ronda. We have a lot of listener questions to get to, but unfortunately, yesterday it was a little busy with different things, and the coronavirus is affecting everybody, as much as that is a buzzword, and obviously we're not trying to have people listen to a update. Frances and I don't know anything health-wise. We know the exact same things you do, but now it's starting to affect our world and the way we prepare for not only Barca matches, but obviously the news coming out today, and by the time this might be in years, things might change about the Napoli match being played behind closed doors, as well as Mallorca and Leganes. Though At least three matches for Barcelona will be played. 
but it will be televised and played behind closed doors. So that's the update to where we are at present moment when you have this in your ears. So other than that, I think, again, we're going to keep that understanding that that information is known and try to answer the listener questions that way. All right, so let's get on with it with a question from Minor. With our last two results, that being the one Real Sociedad and the prior one with Real Madrid, how do we prepare for our home game against Napoli, which takes place next week or midweek? What changes to our formation would you make? And again, this is a home game. And Frances, maybe again in 24 hours, that question has been altered now that that's taking place behind closed doors. Do you feel like it's a home game or without the fans? Last time you and I spoke and people can go back and listen to the podcast we did back in 2017 during the Catalan referendum when that was the last match against Las Palmas that was played behind closed doors. It certainly is an eerie feeling to everything and that home game feels a little weird. It really certainly does feel weird, but I don't think that affects the formation and the way that the game is going to be played on the field. So we can answer both those things at the same time, I think. Exactly. Um, I think that it is a disadvantage uh, when you play at home in front of nearly 100,000 culés. That's always going to be a help unless obviously the, play, <laughs> the team play really badly, which let's hope it's not the case. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a huge disadvantage because obviously Napoli had all the help in the world from the 12th player uh, that is the home fans and, and we're not really going to have it. Um, I, with all of this, the, the key point here is that we manage hopefully going to manage to hear what Eder Sarabia is shouting at the players without the need for subtitles, which you could argue is a disadvantage, but I think it would be quite interesting. <laughs> and as for the game itself, I think that, no, it doesn't necessarily change what the manager should do. It looks like he's going to go for a 4-3-3 again. Um, seems to have returned, because he keeps changing his mind, because, you know, as we've said before in the podcast, he didn't get the team from the very beginning of the year, so he's still trialing things, even though we're now... It's crunch time now, so we're now in the final third of the season where, you know, when you take the, the cookies out of the oven and, and see what the result is. And four three three seems to be the option. Um, he, he played Messi as a striker, you know, around the striking area as a false nine. Um, but I don't think that was so effective given the very, very short first team amount of players we got available. Um, not necessarily for Messi himself, which, you know, he's not very inspired in front of goal. And I think I'm assuming we're going to talk about that later. But the fact that Griezmann was totally invisible as a right wing most of the time. In fact, he was totally outshined by Braithwaite, actually. Um, Griezmann didn't didn't add much more than, than the fight that he always have. But moving forward, he just didn't associate. He was pretty relevant. And in contrast, Braithwaite was was the, the breath of fresh air that we've been asking for from Dembele and Fati, but combined, uh, obviously someone who is um, much closer to his peak than Ansu Fati is at this moment in time. And obviously Dembele is still injured and, and hopefully recovering every single day, but you know far away from playing and being relevant back in the team. So Braithwaite actually, uh, despite the fact that no one seemed to believe that at the time, probably me included. He's had much more impact than most of us anticipated. And yeah, I think that the, the, the rest of the team is, is fairly obvious. Piquet has been playing well, but beyond that, between Lenglet and Umtiti, I'm not sure they both, either one of them would be available for for the upcoming matches. Um, Umtiti, I don't think, has trained with the squad lately. And um, that said, alarm bells ringing. Um, Jordi Alba, I think, is the obvious choice. Uh, but then again, he's not in best terms with the Camino fans. But obviously, they're not going to be there. Yeah, so I won't have to worry that. about them, of course. And, and Frances, I think in the midfield, that's where 
this formation. And that's where Kike Setien doesn't really have any options. As much as, you know, I was thinking about it watching the Real Sociedad match, and I've been really considering my brain just been working with the gears, and maybe I'll give Kike Setien a call on this, that I, I think that... Frankie de Jong and Sergio Busquets, I want to see at some point in the Liga, I'd love to see this against Mallorca, against Leganes, a double pivot. Who goes at the top of that double pivot? And not really in a diamond formation, but it's it's de Jong and Busquets both with the ability to drop back and receive the ball from the center backs and build that way. I don't think it's Messi as a attacking midfielder, as a Raquel May in a sense, but I think unfortunately, as much as I'd love to see a Puj in that spot, but it's instead, or, or Lenya would be fitting well in that spot as he has been for Al Betis. But nevertheless, we'll get to that in a second. We have Arturo Vidal in that spot. However, against Napoli, remember, Busquets is suspended. Vidal is suspended. Artur is currently injured. Sergio Roberto is coming back from an injury and should be prepared, but may not be prepared. That leaves Frankie de Jong and even Rakitic healthy. That's it. That's first team midfielders ready. So... Who's going to start in the midfield? It's whoever is healthy. If Arter is ready, it's going to be De Jong, Arter, and Rakitic. And who comes off the bench? Does I mean, it hasn't been... I think this takes us right to our next question, though, Frances, as well. As both Pulkic, Rick, Izzy, they all ask questions concerning Fati and concerning Puj. And we'll say limited playing time for them recently. Eli mentions the same thing. And we're getting to a point now, and we had this feeling, too, over January that... It, as much as Granada made us feel good, the Fadi played 79 minutes, Puj got as many minutes, he got 19 in that match off the bench, it's the most that he's had in the first team, and that was all coming in the first match of the Kike Setien era, and since that time, we've seen those two fade to the background, but now it seems like, especially in the midfield, through the different options that are limited, Setien might be forced to play a Puj off the bench late, or you hope that Arthur can go 90 but he's unable to go 90 when he's feeling healthy. He just has never been fit this season. And to expect him to come back from an ankle injury. So really now you're hoping that Sergio Roberto can come back from an injury and go 90 if you just go with the young Rakitic and Sergio Roberto for an entire match against Napoli. Again, in a pivotal thing where you have just the away goal and now you're playing at home without your fans. So I was optimistic against it for this Napoli match, Frances. But I think tactically, Kike Setien is just so hogtied to what he has at the moment that... It's going to have to be some kind of magic. And what you were saying, putting the pressure on the forwards. Uh, obviously, Brothwaite can't play. So it's all on Antoine Griezmann and Messi for Napoli. Yeah, I think one of the key points, obviously, you mentioned a lot of players who are either coming back or injured or, or just banned. Uh, I think one of the key elements here is making sure that Busquets is rested whenever he is available for playing um, against the minor team. So obviously not during the Napoli game, obviously he, he can't play anyway. But what I'm trying to say is that against Mallorca, Leganes, another ones of the inverted commas, easier games in La Liga, you just have hold, uh, Frankie the Young as the holding midfielder and then you give opportunities to, to the B team because, you know, Bartomeu was actually talking to um, Catalonia Radio and different outlets today and this has been broadcasted all over Catalonia, that um, he, he's, I think it's an excuse. I think it's quite obvious it's an excuse. He's just saying that the, the plantilla, the squad, is actually shorter to give the B players a chance, which is what our, our listeners are asking for. Um, so with that in mind, playing Ricky Puig has to make perfect sense. I mean, bluntly, we should be able to beat Napoli, Levante, Mallorca, Leganes, and, and teams like that. 
uh, with the squad we've got just because we've got Messi, really. Uh, we've got Griezmann as well. We've got Braithwaite, who's, who is fresh. We've got players of, of high-caliber, sort of world-class talent. We should really just be struggling against the Real Madrid, Liverpool's, uh, Manchester City's of the world, Juventus of the world. But against these teams, the first 18 players available in our squad and including the B teams, uh, B team sort of uh, graduates here as well, we should be able to be in every team. So I think for me, it's more about rotation and getting people rested and fit when it needs to be. And, you know, I'd rather have Ricky Puch playing 70 minutes than an injured or, you know, recovering Sergio Roberto coming back or recovering Arthur coming back or someone risking an injury that we probably think Messi is doing in order to, to survive. I think if at this moment in the season you're just not fit enough, you need to be rested because hopefully, hopefully being the key word, there are more important games coming up once we progress in the Champions League. You know, it's funny that we've almost completely switched on this. I, I had said that this should have happened against Abar. That's what I was... I was Sad to see that rotation did not occur. And I think that tells you against Abar that, sure, now Setien can only use what he has healthy, but clearly results matter so, so much. And we knew that, that Kike Setien's job relied on results. And because there was that moment or the, uh, Barca has not been playing as well as they could, he has to go forward with the experienced veteran players. And so the questions of why is Fatih not getting chances... I'm not sure. He's actually more worrisome than me than Puj, because at least Puj is playing. He still has made 21 appearances with Barca B this year. He's got 19 minutes against Granada, as I mentioned, in Setien's first match in charge, then starts against Ibiza in a Copa del Rey, where everyone really struggled and Antoine Griezmann had to win it late. He got three minutes against Levante and made the bench against Napoli, Real Betis, and Real Sociedad. But I don't know how much that it's making the bench than it is just Barca not even having enough healthy bodies to fill out the, the substitute's bench. Fati, meanwhile, as Puj is playing with the B team, he got 79 minutes against Granada, then started against Valencia, getting a brace against Levante, got a start against Athletic Club in the Copa del Rey. Maybe it's something about young players playing in the Copa del Rey that has managers not trust them because he was then benched against Real Betis, starts against Hadafe, then the last five matches, he's been largely absent. It's been sub-appearances with less than 10 minutes against Napoli, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, and he did not play at all against Abar. Uh, and so for Fatih, that's my more worrisome thing, that he is still young and he's got plenty of time, sure, but he's not being rotated at all. And so, you know, I, not that I've flipped on this, but it seems to me that any hope that La Masia players, particularly Puj and maybe Callado and even Fatih, the, the belief that they're going to play and get minutes throughout the range of this season, I think, is a silly thing to assume. And I think a it's not I, I agree with you. I prefer that those players get those opportunities more than a, an injured player in the first team like Roberto or Archer at the moment. But I don't see that happening down the stretch here. I think that unless he's unless Setien's hand is completely forced, it's going to happen that way. And I think the, the saddest thing of all that is to me that it's not genuine. The fact that Setien and, and this can be said about Valverde too. In that press conference, there was a belief that things were going to be a little different in the way that the squad was rotated, in the way that there was going to be some youth, and particularly the way that Setien wants to play, where he wants to press, he wants to have a lot of energy. The older players can't do that, and especially cannot do that 90 minutes after 90 minutes after 90 minutes. It's not that Busquets and Messi aren't going to be able to press at times in the season, but they're not able to do it over the course of uh, every match, in and out, 
playing midweek games in Champions League and doing it every time. So I was hoping that things were going to be rotated. Younger players were going to get some experience to build on next year. But it seems like Kike Setien has been forced behind the scenes to go against what he has said was going to happen all along. So cause that's a big difference. We say that he's Corfian. We say that there's Corfism to what he's trying to do. And that might be what he's trying to implement in terms of what's happening on the field. But it seems like, unlike Cruyff, who was not brave, but he was brash with the decisions he made many, many times. He rubbed superstar players the wrong way. Setien has had to be another foot soldier, and he has had to just get in line once again. And you're seeing that with Fati, you're seeing that with Pooj, that Setien just does not have the ability to take chances because his job is on the line. I think win or lose, he might even, even if Barca do everything but win the Champions League, he might be out anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, I take all that. But... um. I've been drawing an analogy on my head. So, so say that Valverde had to make a cake, which was make Barca successful this year. He went to the shop. He spoke to the directors. He agreed a budget. He decided exactly what ingredients he needed. You know, he decided to keep uh, ingredients like Rakitic, ingredients like Vidal. He decided to, you know, go forward with that. Then halfway through the season, halfway through the baking process, he was deemed inadequate as a cook he was replaced. So whoever comes in, it doesn't matter whether they want to bake steak instead. You know, it's cake that you're making and you've got all the ingredients to bake that cake. So you're just trying to salvage it. That, that's what's happening here. I think the decisive moment for Setien is once the season is finished, e.g. this cake is finished whichever way it, it comes up in the end, then next year's season, when he goes to the shop himself and he has to do all the agreements with the board, which, by the way, Bartomeu has confirmed that he's not resigning, um, then... We will see what happens. So, so I think what, what Setien is doing is a last-minute fix based on someone else's mess. And, of course, I would have liked to see more change. Of course, I would have liked to see more coach power, like Eder Sarabia. People seem to be going nuts in the internet about what he's, he's trying to do. But then again, he's a second coach who is um, linked to Setien. So probably they feel the same way, but their, 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 their formats, their ways are different. Um, and I think that we need to judge Setien on what he does next season, not this one. Obviously, his success in the coming two, three months is going to determine whether he is trusted by the current board next year. But it would be the most nonsensical thing of the world to just release Setien after four months when he's just there to, to do the best out of a really terrible situation with very terrible planning. Yeah, and that's why I think that that it might be the discussions that are going on behind the scenes, that he has basically been told either win or or, or that's it for you. And I, I unfortunately, again, it's cynical, but I, I have the feeling that that's to seems to be the idea. I mean, Setien knew that he was not not only first choice, but he was not even third choice as for that for that manager job. So there is great indication that the board could make those phone calls once again. Well, we're going to step aside for a second and we're going to talk some Eder Sarabia and Kike Setien after the break. Ever wonder why traditional button ups look so long and baggy? That's because they were never meant to be worn that way. Untucked shirts were specifically designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, their shirts are the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 fit combinations, untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. Don't just take my word for it. Try Untucked for yourself. Visit untucked.com and use Blue Wire for 20% off your first order. They even offer free shipping and returns on all orders in the U.S. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com. Untuckit.com and promo code BLUEWIRE for 20% off your first order. Now back to the show. All right, back from this break. Before we talk more, Setien and Eder Sarabia, who, as we mentioned, with the, and not to make light of, obviously, the reasons why 
there are no fans and why Barca will be playing again at this moment in time at least they'll be playing behind closed doors for at least the next three matches uh, Eder Sarabia and what he's going to bring to the table as far as hearing him on the feeds is you know again tongue-in-cheek one of the few bits of entertainment I think that could be had and salvaged from what is a very negative situation another match though that's going to be played again behind closed doors is at Mallorca and Vilmos asked are we able to beat Mallorca next week and he asked that but one of those reasons is that Mallorca has had a for at least their perspective for a relegation fighting team a sparkling home record six wins two draws two losses an away record a dastardly away record of one win two draws and two losses they beat Real Madrid one nothing in October and 4-1 over Valencia in January. Those are the two big wins on the island of Mallorca. They're in that relegation fight. They're one point off safety behind Celta de Vigo and two points behind Abar, two points ahead of Leganes, and five points in front of Espanyol in the relegation fight. So they are in that final spot to be relegated. As expected, Takafuso Kubo, who we talked about, has worked his way into a role as a, a spot-time starter, but Ante Budimir is still the leader of the lineup. Top nine goals, three assists for the big Croatian. I think it's either a really ugly game or a Barca, or Barca do win big, but I can't really see an open game where Mallorca obviously gets a result just based on talent alone. That said, Frances, can you explain to people why Mallorca is such a difficult place to play? Is it just the nightlife? Is it just the way that for NBA fans, they say... It's uh, what is it they say? And they say it's uh, in the city of Toronto. Always take a weekend day game, Toronto. Never count against Toronto in a weekend day game because the other teams are coming in on Friday night and then having to play the next afternoon. So it's always going to be a great advantage to Toronto, if you know what I'm saying. Same thing with Miami, that it seems like those day games the next day in Miami are considerable wins for the Miami Heat. And is that is that just what it is about Mallorca? Is there is something even different about, is it altitude? Is it... Just give people an explanation about Mallorca there. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I definitely had no idea this question was coming. So I've been to Mallorca several times. When I was living in Barcelona and obviously when I also lived in London, I used to go to, to Mallorca um, as a tourist. There is an area of Mallorca called Magaluf. Um, anyone who's listening from the UK, I'm sure, either has been there or knows about the, the, the weird stories coming out of there. It's just a very trashy, very stay out you know, <laughs> apocalypse zone, uh, which obviously is quite relevant by the way that people are taking this coronavirus thing. Um, so no, yeah, it's, um, it's a party town uh, that the locals are fed up with, really. Uh, a lot of locals have actually moved out of uh, the center of Mallorca and, and places like Magaluf. So it's just in a way invaded, I think is the key word, by Brits and Germans and now Russians and Italians even um, in the latest 10, 15 years. Um, having said that, I don't think that really affects the, the visiting teams because Mallorca is not that far from, from Spain um, unless you come from La Coruña, that's a longer flight. But, you know, we're talking about probably an hour and a half flight from La Coruña to, um, to Mallorca from Barcelona, 35 minutes, 40 minutes, you're there. So, so no, people normally, and Barca traditionally since the Guardiola, times they've been traveling on the day right. um, to La Liga to La Liga games anyway so um, they get up early morning I mean they may not need to do it in this case but around I would say 9 10 o'clock board the plane you're there by 12 get ready for the game and then and then just play it and come back on the same night so no I don't I don't think the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas really applies to professional football um, as for the club itself it's um, Mallorca is a little island. It's a bigger island in the Balearic Islands, but it is a little island in comparison to uh, big cities like, say, Barcelona, Madrid, Valencia, Sevilla, for example, and Bilbao. 
So no, but, but the fans are really passionate, and um, whenever a team is involved in the relegation battle, that increases um, the the you know the atmosphere. Obviously, we're not going to have it, but just giving a bit of background information here. And the last point I'll make is just at this point in the season, you'd rather much, much, much rather play whoever's in say ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth position than someone who's fighting for for their lives in the first division for sure. Right. I think maybe that's what makes it so difficult to play at this year. That uh, There's actually also an interesting Copa 90 piece that was done about derby days between Mallorca when they were in the second division facing off against uh, Atletico Belares, who you know shared the on the Belaric Islands with them. And that, that is a local rivalry there. Very rarely are they in the same division. Uh, Atletico Belares is usually in the third division in their history. Mallorca has bounced between the first and second division for so much of theirs. But yeah, it's certainly an interesting, it's a different feel. It's a different stadium. Dan, can I stay on that? Sure. Can I say on that? I, with all due respect to whoever wrote that, my brother played in Mallorca against Mallorca and against Atletico Baleares. And Atletico Baleares was actually like Barca B. It was a little, it was, it was a little bit like Mallorca B at the time. Right. So with all due respect, I don't buy that at all. The, the, the rivalry is probably a made up media thing or probably something that's erupted in the last four or five years. Right. Traditionally, Mallorca have been so much higher than Baleares that it wasn't even a competition. So maybe the, the, the rivalries with Mallorca B since they've been created. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm just sharing a bit of information that I know because I was there. Right. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah, again, I would look at just look at that, even if not for the rivalry. Again, there is some things that are that are, we'll say, overproduced in in creating certain atmospheres. Now, they also did this uh, in that same series about River Plate and Boca Juniors. That is obviously uh, you don't need to not say fluff anything up there, but that is completely authentic. But yes, in the rivalry uh, on the islands of the Laric Islands, but certainly just to get a feel of, of what's happening there again. It's just a, a fun little nidbit here. But we're going to talk back about Barcelona again. Mallorca is a match that, again, Barcelona should win if they're going to win the title. And Mallorca are, again, desperate to stay up, but they have not been too great in losing their fan, their home fans. It's certainly not going to help their case. All that said, Torian and Pranit, we're going to talk again about Eder Sarabia and Kike Setien. Torian asked, does Eder Sarabia and Kike Setien having to apologize to the players show that it doesn't matter who coaches the team because they are just renting the space and they're going to not be in charge for long. And Prennett asks, does Eder Sarabia's outburst at El Clasico indicate that the players have not been following instructions? And why were the players so lethargic and unenergetic whenever in possession in that match? Does this mean they have an unaddressed mentality problem? And Frances, I'm going to ask, our next question is about mentality as well. So let's not talk too much about the mentality of the team and the players themselves, but more about Eder Sarabia's role, Kike Setien's role, and what that just means from a PR stance. Sure. Um, unpopular opinion, Eder Sarabia was right to apologize because he was wrong to address his players in the way he did. I know I'm probably going to get slaughtered for this, but you know this is a podcast and it's about opinions and this is my opinion. He was wrong. He was wrong in the way he did it. You do not um, make out to puta madre and, and, and swear words like that. You don't use that, especially... Um, in front of the world's media, you know, there's billions of people watching the game. You know that every camera is going to be watching and you really need to watch it a little bit. You know, um, people keep covering their mouths in all major sports around the whole world. And they do that for a reason. Um, if you are, ex- I'm not saying that being expressive is, is a problem. I'm not saying that the content, the the, the, the feeling, the message, the, the, the way in which he said it was wrong is just some of the language he was using is disrespectful. You know, and, and as a manager, he's a second manager, but again, he's an extension of Setien. So it's 
for me, it's the same team, it's the same people, it's even the same person, really. Um, you are an extension of what your managing team represents. And to address the people you manage, whether they're right or wrong in that manner in front of the world media is, is wrong. The, the essence of what he said in terms of, um, you know, long passes being made when they shouldn't have been, making mistakes, um, you know, um, abusing the, the horizontal passing, uh, missing goals in front of goal, all of that is fine. And, and to be angry about it is fine. And to be seen to be angry about it is fine. But disrespecting the players at, at, at that degree and being able, not being able to hide it or not being able to disguise it in a way that the whole media is not going to then look at the players, oh, they're so lazy, whatever, then I think is wrong. You know, I, I yeah, I tend to actually not say that I don't have my own opinion here and stand on my own, but I, I do tend to agree with you in that for Edda Sarabia, there's a difference between the, again, a lot of Spanish-ism phrases were, were used, obviously, things that if you translate into English, they don't make a lot of sense, or they seem even more derogatory. But a lot of times, a lot of things that he and Kekisetian have been caught saying are common phrases in Spain. But all that said, you're right, context so, so matters. I, I remember watching even years ago, and I hate having to bring up Pep Guardiola in here, but when you talk about passion, you talk about yelling at your players, he tends to lead the line in that regard. I remember watching a training session at Bayern Munich and he was going bananas the entire time screaming at his players. But what he was screaming was not personal. It was not individualistic and uh, it was not individual to certain individuals and being derogatory towards them. He wasn't uh, he wasn't critiquing their not only their passion, but their their want and their desire. He was not questioning any of those things. He was merely speaking about things that were missed technically. That was instructions that they were missing. And so that is something, though, to Pranit's question about what does the outburst say about the players not following instructions? I think what it is, is that for Kike Setien and Sarabia coming in, the expectations, again, on them are very high. And they're trying to give instructions, and they're asking these older players to change the way they've been playing now for the last two and a half years and take new instructions from these new people that have come in. And the one thing I couldn't say to that is there might be a little bit of a disconnect. And it, I don't think it has to do with respect. I don't think it has to do with personal relationships. It's just how quickly these players are taking new instruction in a season that they were already halfway through and things change quickly on the fly. So I, going almost back to your cake analogy, Frances, that Barcelona are, while the older experienced players are just trying to put the icing on the top of the cake and win those trophies, Edo Sarabi and Kiki Setien are trying to put their own ingredients in a cake that was already so fully baked, as you said. And they're almost trying to add different ingredients as opposed to just putting the, the frosting on top or, or some of the decorative stuff. And so for Edo Sarabia, it's not about him being frustrated that instructions are not being met or, or players are missing runs or the technical aspect and the tactics of what is happening. But you're right. The way that it was individual derogatory remarks that were made on individual players and having the understanding that El Clasico, you are going to have many cameras on you. So I do agree with you in all of those regards that an apology on that count was important. But he should be apologizing for the way that, or the exact words that were spoken, but not his passion and not the way that he reacts to football. If that makes any sense. Exactly. I hope he doesn't exactly. change. I hope he doesn't change. But obviously the words that were used have got to not be there anymore. The passion is great, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to backtrack anything that I said, but the passion is great. And the fact that we've got someone who doesn't just kneel and look <laughs> into the horizon, yeah. at the side, like Valverde has been doing for three years, 
that actually is a positive, you know. But the, the, as a manager, uh, whatever thing you manage, you know, as a football manager, as a school manager, as a journalist manager, whatever you manage, if you manage a team, you need to get the buy-in from those who you are managing. Um, whenever you've got something to say, it needs to be something that people want to listen to. So you need to build those relationships. Now, those, those relationships, you can build in many different ways. You can build relationships on a coaching way, on a I'm your buddy way, or in a dictator way. There's also a lot of in-betweens. I'm just sort of exaggerating. Here. Well, I think every now, player, every player, not to, I mean, I'm going to give it right back to you. I think every player also is different. And these are adults and they're supposed 100%. to, they're expected to be what they are. But obviously the way you speak to, to Ansu Fadi and the way you manage Gerard Piquet could be night and day, particularly just because of age. Exactly. So, so when you are sharing whatever message is, everything you say is feedback. Even if you don't realize it, the way you look, the way you act, the way you move around, the way that you interact with people, the way you greet people in the morning, the way you give instructions um, at the side when, when you're coaching a football team, everything is feedback. Everyone is always looking at what you are doing and they, they are a reflection of you through themselves. So obviously, as you said, coaching Piquet, he's been, you know, World Cup winner, he's won everything for Barca for 10, 15 years, same with Messi, etc. They're going to react to you in a different way, like someone like Pooch or Ansu Fati or even Dembele or Braithwaite. You know, everyone is different. Now, when you are giving feedback, it's about being helpful. It's about improvement. It's about, right, I'm going to say this. How is this making things better? And if what you're doing doesn't make things better, like make out me, whatever that they were saying, then, then don't say it, you know, or just keep it to yourself or just cover your mouth. I do understand that he's expressive and I am very, to be honest, I'm very excited that there's someone like that that, that doesn't sort of, crumble under the players' um, status and, and, and charisma and, and all the titles sort of shadow what the future is. But I think that you need to be mindful of where you are and the inexperience at the highest level doesn't come back to bite you in the end. Yeah, and what about the, the mentality of the team? Uh, as Eli asked, where do you feel the team is mentally as much as they looked and as much as they have bounced back in terms of getting points and they're top of the table again, the team did not look... Like they were completely mentally the superior team against La Real. And uh, Vidyuth even does make the mention that Brathwaite, and I agree with this, has a different mentality. And I think his mentality has been very, very helpful. It might be good that he, that desperation of fighting in a relegation fight and the pressure of being the number, the forward to be the guy that has to score the goals in a relegation fight. I think to bring that kind of desperate mentality in at this moment to one of the forwards, it just shows... I think not just his skill set, but it shows just how important Brathwaite might be down the stretch in winning La Liga of what he's able to bring to the locker room. Though that's a positive. The negative is what I'm going to let you react to, Frances. What did you think of Jordi Alba's celebration at the Camp Nou with the fingers in the ears? Uh, rude, disrespectful, and unnecessary, basically. Um, and also a true reflection of uh, what I see is going on. Um, this is obviously... My opinion, you can disagree, doesn't, doesn't quite matter, <laughs> but I'm here to share it. Uh, I think that morale in the team is low. Uh, I think that they are tired and I think that they know that they've got, and I think the players themselves have to know that they don't have the legs that they used to have and they don't have the legs that they would like to have. Um, because that's going on, they are angry. 
They are angry, not with each other. I think that the, the team is quite together, you know, the 13 or 15 players we got fit. I think they, they're <laughs> angry with the board because they haven't reinforced, they haven't invested. In, and in a way, they haven't listened to what they wanted. I mean, the whole of the squad wanted Neymar back and they haven't listened. And they've thrown away a lot of money on uh, Coutinho, Dembélé. You can argue Griezmann as well, even though I think Griezmann is better than the two that I just mentioned in terms of, of, of return that we are seeing. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he's at, at a different level, better level. And I think the squad is hungry for success. I think they really want to win. I think that there's players like Busquets, Alba... Piquet and Messi, of course, and Suarez, that know that they don't have that many years left to get more Champions League um, added to their CVs. And they are hungry for titles. They're just annoyed that the board hasn't helped them with, with tools around them. Because of that, they are cautious. They are cautious about what Setien is trying to do. They are cautious about what Setien is, is, is in a way, upsetting what they already had all nicely prepared their way with, under Valverde. And that's why there's disconnect. There's disconnect with what Eder Sarabia is saying, with what um, Setien is arguing and trying to build be behind the scenes. And, you know, it's not disastrous. We're still leading La Liga, but obviously, <laughs> mainly because Madrid are not really there either. Right. But um, I just see a disconnect. And, and, and gestures like the one for Alba in front of the Camp Nou uh, just don't help the situation, but are a true reflection of what's going on behind the scenes, which is what the board has generated by not renewing the squad when they should have done. And to, and to wrap this up, but also to go back to what we were speaking about with Fatih and Puj earlier, that that first match against Granada had the feeling of when a new manager does come in midweek, or mid-season rather, and a lot of times when you look across the biggest clubs in Europe, that even for when Zidane returned to Real Madrid or came the first time, that players or managers tend to shake up the squad a bit, and not to say that they have their players, but you find, you kind of turn your head and go, okay, so that player clearly isn't counted on by the new manager. And that Granada match was almost a red herring because we thought, oh, Kike Setien, the way he wants to play, Pooh supports that. But now every passing week goes by and Kike Setien comes out now to, uh, about a, a little over a week ago and says, you know, defensively, he doesn't really do the things we need to. So that's why he's not getting playing time with the first team. But yet against Granada, there was a lot of praise for him. And there was a feeling that, oh, he was now going to be inserted into this first team. A lot of times with these major major teams when new managers come in some players are pushed to the fringes and some are inserted in and some are trusted a little more but to that point Francesca you mentioned Barcelona don't have enough players for that to happen they need all of their first team players to be important an important part not only just a part but an important part of getting results down the stretch in Champions League and the Liga. There is no player that can be pushed to the sideline. And you see this a lot in the Premier League where there's so much money that's thrown around at times, especially in the transfer window. You might have a, a forward who's your third forward on the depth chart that was supposed to be your starter, but he's not hitting in goals. And Bashwai is actually one of those that I always think about. He's been in this situation two or three times already in his career where Bashwai would be starting at so many teams Yet he's not trusted by a manager when the manager has changed, but he's still on the books and he gets paid too high of wages. We thought that's what was going to happen to even Rakitic, but for bringing in a new midfielder to replace him or him being sold, that never happened. So now he has to be relied on because his replacement, and I'm using air quotes so you can't see me at home, his replacement in Carlos Alenia or Ricky Puj, well, Puj is now being said that he's not good enough defensively and Alenia was set out on loan. So the new manager didn't really replace Rakitic with anybody physically, 
So Rakitic is still playing, even if he was the one with an, if a different new manager had been brought in, would have been one of the guys pushed to the fringes. So I think with the way we see other new managers coming under major clubs, things usually happen. And that's why a guy like Jordi Alba, who may not be selected or maybe Setien would have picked Junior Furpo as his guy and would have gone forward with him. But Junior Furpo has not earned the minutes over Alba. Alba's still the starter. And Kike Setien is, even if Jordi Alba isn't the guy, his hand is being forced, that Jordi Alba has to be the guy. There are no other options. So I think Barcelona are in a little bit of an interesting situation in terms of changing their manager. And so Kike Setien, that's the situation he finds himself in. Right. So before we move on, I just want to make something very clear. The Saucis, the, the ticket holders, and the paying fans that pay a ticket to the stadium, they probably fly from, I don't know, from New York City, from Los Angeles, from wherever in the world, or they drive from Andorra all the way down, or they come from Valencia, or even if they live in Barcelona and they just take sort of 20 minutes to get to the Camp Nou. Whoever goes to the Camp Nou has the right to express their feelings. Okay, that is a right. That is not something that we should be um, being told off by the players for. We pay their salaries. Okay, they nobody is bigger than the club. They are employees of the club. Obviously, we don't have to be ungrateful. There are players like um, the ones that I keep mentioning, Alba Busquets, Piqué, Messi, etc. They've been in the club for many years. We've been very successful, 100%. Okay, but nobody is bigger than the club. Not even Messi. I know Messi obviously transcends the, in a, arguably transcends the caliber of the club and, and because of his Argentina antiques and because of his marketing, because of who he is um, and what he represents in terms of values, right? But nobody is bigger than the club. The, the players are employees and as a result, they need to be doing the best while they are working. But the Camp Nou fans have a right to, to criticize, they have a right to applaud and they do, you know, the, the Camp Nou fans are obviously demanding and they're obviously very picky but they're used to winning and this is this is what the club has been for the last 25 30 years and and for someone like alba or coutinho last year to have those gestures in the camp no it's just it's just wrong you know and and i think that if they want the camp no fans to be happy if they want to be clapped and they want sort of red carpets and sort of confetti thrown at them then they need to do the part of the job and quite frankly i don't think they're doing it and that's why the camp no is reacting the way they are and the players have to be respectful and be mindful of, of their employers, who is us. Yep. So we'll see exactly what the reactions are. We won't see any fans for a few weeks now. So we'll have to see what happens afterwards. And I think we're we are, where Barcelona stand in Champions League and in the Liga after these at least three matches will have a lot to say about how the fans are reacting at the Camp Nou next home match when there are fans. Last question, Frances. Yes or no question for both of us. Jorge asked, is Griezmann a bust or is it too early to say so? I say it's too early. He's not a bust. He's too early. He's too early. Um, he's given enough throughout the season to, to still give him the benefit. Um, to be honest, I think he's done quite all right as a striker. He's not 100% his position, but as a winger, he gave us so little in the last match against Real Sociedad that... Um, Arguably, I don't know this, but I'm assuming Setien is going to pull him back in the middle in the next one. Um, Bust, no. Obviously, a very expensive player that is not delivering according to his price tag, but not a bust just yet, no. No, and it's almost forgotten because they're expected to score so many goals. He has 14 goals and four assists on the season. 14 goals could be more, sure, but that's not a small number 
And Lionel Messi is also obviously scoring the goals he has. And again, the four assists for Griezmann with 14 goals. Hopefully, maybe he gets more assists in the future. The connection between Messi and Griezmann is the only one that worries me. But as we even saw with Luis Suarez, that one wasn't instant. As much as it is one of the greatest combinations football has ever seen, Suarez and Messi was something that they had to work through and get through. And that actually improved even after Neymar had left when those three created that chemistry that they did. And then when Neymar leaves, then Messi and Suarez are still a dynamic duo. So Griezmann, it's going to take some time to get used to playing with Messi as it is with, as I always say, not to give players excuses, but it's a difficult thing to play with Messi because he's always got two or three guys around him. Your passes have to be perfect, but you also have to be expecting the ball coming back to you in in a way the players don't. So yeah, it does take some time. And that could be even a whole season, a season where there's been two different managers and a lot of consternation, things going on behind the scenes. So for sure too early on all those reasons. Well, it is never too early to end the show because we have done a full show here. Frances, thanks so much for helping me out again with all the different things, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's taking the top of the La Liga table again, but fans not being too happy about it. Yet, I thank you so much as well, the listeners, for tuning in, tapping your app, check out the show notes to subscribe to the show and do all those different things. Social media, Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram, the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group, that's where we get these questions from, tbpod.link backslash group, deeper dives, discussions, all that. Patreon, that's where I do the quick take match reviews you can listen to, a little more tactic breakdown there, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. Also on YouTube, where I do at least one special feature that you don't hear on the show. Last week, it was all about the missing generation with Tiago Alcantara and why as much as we talk about Puj and Fati and La Masia on this show, other than Sergio Roberto, Where's everybody else from that 24 to 29-year-old age range? I did miss Adama Traore, so a shout-out to him here on the show after the fact. But go on the YouTube channel, subscribe, hit the like button. It helps us out there as well. So thanks so much in all that everybody does to listen to the show and get all the different Barcelona podcasts, barcelonablog.com media, and everything that Frances and I do. We are constantly buzzing behind the scenes, everything related to FC Barcelona. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Reports of Barca. Porta. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.